Before we dive into today's episode, I want to tell you about a free three-act worksheet to help you structure your story. Whether you're a plotter or a pantser, a novelist or short fiction writer, this three-act worksheet will help you navigate your material and even begin each new story with a better plan. Download yours at nancypinuccio.com forward slash act. Stop getting stuck in the middle of your draft. Go grab this free worksheet, nancypinuccio.com forward slash act. As a story coach, I have the privilege of working with a lot of writers. They're committed to their stories. They're full in. Their stories are important to them and they're in it for the long game. But I see the same things tripping them up over and over. There are some common themes here, things to do with plot and point of view and just telling too damn much. So today we're going to talk about the five most common traps I see writers falling into, and I'm going to give you my take and a little tough love on what to do instead. Stay tuned. Writer Unleashed is for you, a writer who has a story you want to bring onto the page and into the hearts and minds of readers. I'm Nancy Panuccio, writer, editor, and writing coach, and each week we'll explore techniques, mindsets, and inspiration for writing stories readers can't put down. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let's begin. There is a lot of bad advice out there for writers, and some advice is just a soundbite. Show, don't tell, for example, can be misconstrued. Does it mean you never tell? When is it better to show? And then there's this consensus among many aspiring writers that you should outline first before you write your story. But these kinds of advice shackle writers more than they help. But bad advice is really just good advice in reverse. So today, I'm going to talk about the five common traps I see just about every writer new to the practice fall into, and then I'll give you advice I give to my clients to turn around misconceptions about how to write a great story and avoid bad habits. Okay, let's get to it. Number one premature focus on structure. Now, a lot of writers insist on outlining their story before they sit down to actually write it. So they'll have these intricate plot maps and it's very well structured. They know what's going to happen. It's very impressive. And one of the justifications I hear about the outline first approach is that it cuts down on rewriting. Yes, it gives you direction, it gives you a roadmap, but writing is rewriting. Your first draft is really for exploring your material, for exploring what you have to say. It's receptive and intuitive. 
Rewriting is where you start shaping your material. This is where you cut all the extraneous material and crystallize what your story is about. You don't know what you have to say until you write it. So it's never made sense to me why anyone would want to outline their story before they write it. For some writers, the structure first method does work. So Anne Patchett, for example, needs to roughly know her plot beforehand, but most writers, especially when they're starting out, get shackled by this approach. So you might be the kind of writer who works best from the outside in, and if that's you, trust your instincts. But plot isn't something that you do first and then you're done. It's a way of thinking your way through your material as you write as you revise. So it's better to create plot, to create structure as you're exploring your material, as you write and as you rewrite. What happens when you start out with a plot outline is that you're then coercing your characters to fit into this mold that you've outlined for them. And the result often is a relatively shallow story. It's much better to write exploratory drafts first to see what you have to say, and then start playing with structure and trying different things out. You need structure. Yes, you need plot. But structure and plot isn't what you start out with. Plot is driven by character desire. The cause and effect of plot has to do with character motivation. So until you know your main character deeply, what they want and what's keeping them from getting it, that's where you can start to develop plot. I like what Peter Dunn says. He's a screenwriter and he says the emotional through line is the first structure to develop deeply. Once you have that, the plot can be anything you like. So plot serves your character, not the other way around. Trap number two not getting into the action soon enough. Now, this might be that there is a lot of backstory or exposition, explaining the character's past, a lot of backfill. Sometimes there's lengthy dialogue that's really exposition. It's written for the reader rather than dialogue between the characters. And this can go on for pages and pages before anything happens. The character might be thinking about what will happen or dreading it, or even thinking about what happened years before. But whatever it is, it takes too long to get into the action. And anytime your characters are not actively engaged in action, whether it's physical action or thought or gestures, dialogue, or all of those, then those are times that the reader is yanked out of the story because too much exposition slows the reader down. It bores the reader. Now, this happens when the writer doesn't trust the reader to let the action speak for itself. Readers want to collaborate with what's on the page. They can fill in a lot of what's unsaid. They can read a lot into the present action. So trust the power of your own writing. So you want to bring your characters into the scene as soon as possible. Make things happen. Put characters together who clash. They don't have to be enemies. Put characters together who want different things. Basically, you want your characters to interfere with one another. Think about how this happens in your own life. Conflict 
doesn't have to be a fight. Conflict is everywhere. You want a baby, your wife does not. You want to paint the bathroom daffodil yellow, your husband wants to paint a mural with sunflowers. Another thing that happens is that many writers are afraid to get their characters into trouble, to put them in the fray. Don't be afraid of putting your character in danger. Now, by danger, I don't mean life or death danger, but emotional danger. Your character wants something in every scene and someone or something is going to thwart him or her from getting it. Often it's your character's own resistance to change that's stopping him right in his tracks. So get into the action sooner. Trap number three, telling more than showing. When stories are too told, they're glossing over things that demand to be slowed down. It's told in shorthand rather than dramatized in real time. And this shows up in a few obvious ways. One is plot told as summary. Now, often you can get a whole chapter or even series of chapters out of a paragraph of summary. You want to slow down when there's a turning point in your story or when something significant happens, when there's a moment of insight or a confrontation. You don't want to gloss over those significant moments. Slow down, probe the moment. Sometimes the dialogue is doing too much of the story's heavy lifting. So the dialogue is written for the reader rather than for the characters. So the characters are not having a conversation that the reader is eavesdropping. The dialogue is crafted to feed the reader information. And one of the most obvious ways of telling when you should be showing is describing a character as mad or arrogant or sad without showing them acting that way or using descriptive details that embody their state of mind. The things that your character notices and how they describe objects or other characters or a setting That often tells us more about what they're experiencing than an explicit explanation of their mood can. Don't spoon feed your reader. Part of the thrill of reading is filling in what's not said. You want to activate your reader's imagination. You want them to connect emotionally. And one of the best ways to do that is to use images, not just information. Images activate the reader's senses. Nabokov once said, we read with our spines. And that means that when we activate their senses, readers feel it in their body and they respond in the most primitive part of their brain. They connect emotionally. When you use telling words like sad or angry or terrified, the reader can intellectualize that, sure, but they can't feel it. Now, for more on how to convert telling to showing, go listen to episode 58, nancypinuccio.com forward slash 58. I'll link in the show notes. Trap number four, too much backstory. Now, sometimes backstory winds up taking over the front story. 
A lot of backstory may be good for you to know. In fact, it is good for you to know, but the reader doesn't need all of it. This is good insight for you, but it doesn't have to be all on the page. When you go into backstory, you're pulling your reader out of the story, so it better be relevant. Now, one thing I found really useful is to think of backstory or flashback as significant history. This is a term I learned from Doug Glover when I was in graduate school. Significant history is what happened before we meet the characters on page one. It's significant because it gives us insight into how your character arrived on page one wanting what he or she wants. Now, if the backstory is not related to your character's core desire, cut it, save it for another file, or alternatively, make it more relevant. For example, in Revolutionary Road, we get some key history about Frank Wheeler's father, who's deceased in the present time of the story. It's significant because it helps us understand why Frank Wheeler is so conflicted about what he wants as the story moves forward. And this inner conflict has tragic consequences. You want to infuse the backstory, the significant history into the narrative. It's best to weave significant history into the forward moving action. Now, some writers devote a whole chapter to significant history. Others fold it into the action or they use it through character thought, but they don't linger too long on it. Significant history should be directly related to your character's core desire and it should give us deeper insight into the present conflict. You want to go for relevance and resonance. And trap number five, multiple points of view. Now, most new writers think that the only way to tell their story is to write from more than one character's point of view. Sometimes there are three character points of view, sometimes four. But when you have too many points of view, two things happen. Your readers get confused because they don't know where to turn their gaze and it dilutes your story. So let's back up. By point of view, I'm not talking about first, second, or third person. That's irrelevant to whose perspective we're experiencing your story from. Point of view is what Doug Glover calls the mental modus operandi of your story. So It's the mind of your story. It's the consciousness of your story. Someone is perceiving or experiencing the action. And the best way to construct point of view is to focus on your main character. Point of view involves desire and significant history and language. Now, there are times when multiple points of view work. For example, The Sweet Hereafter by Russell Banks uses four different points of view. This is intentional because the story involves a school bus accident that kills 21 children and the surviving child is paralyzed for life. So every chapter is written from another character's point of view. We have the grieving father of twins who both died, the bus driver who lost control of the bus on an icy winter road. There's the lawyer who's representing the parents and wants to get them financial compensation for their loss. 
And there's the only surviving child who's now paralyzed. And every character has their own voice, their own language and rhythm. But more to the point, the author uses multiple points of view intentionally. It serves the story. 21 children died, and the novel deals with the aftermath of that tragedy. So here there are multiple truths to explore, but the reason the multiple points of view work in this novel is that that it calls into question our inability to be objective. Point of view can be complex. There are many layers to point of view. So it's better to master one character point of view before you tackle multiple points of view. Okay, so let's wrap this up. Number one, instead of outlining before you write, try exploring your material first. Write where the energy is. Don't try to control it so much. Just write whatever comes up. You don't have to start at the beginning. You can write scenes out of order. You can write scenes that ultimately don't wind up in the story. Just remember, none of this is written in stone. And if you do feel more grounded with an outline in place before you write, just allow things to shift during the writing process. Writing is a receptive process, and plot is not something you do first and then forget about. It's a way of thinking your way through your story as you write, as you revise. Your early drafts are to discover what story you're trying to tell, who it's about, and what the core desire driving the story forward is. Number two. Get to the action as soon as possible. Leave out the throat clearing, all that backfill information that is trying to explain to the reader what's about to happen or why it's about to happen or what happened before. Just give us the scene. Let the action speak for itself. Number three, don't tell when it's better to show. Slow down where it hurts. Don't gloss over significant moments with summary or expositional dialogue. Probe the moment when there's a confrontation, a turning point, or a moment of insight. Number four, don't let backstory take over your story. Think instead of significant history. It's significant when it helps us understand how your character came to be in the current situation he or she is in. It'll help illuminate his or her current conflict, and it helps us understand why a character wants what he or she wants. And number five, practice mastering one character point of view before you tackle multiple points of view point of view is the mind of your story. It's the one perceiving or experiencing the action. And you have to construct that perceiving subject. Now, when you have too many points of view, you often don't have any point of view at all. So focus on one. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Writer Unleashed. 
If this episode resonated with you, please go leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Reviews are key to keeping Writer Unleashed on the top of the charts where other writers can find us. I'll see you next week with a brand new episode. In the meantime, join us on our private Facebook group, Writer Unleashed Community. It's totally free to join. And if you want more free resources, plus writing tips, I only share an email. Sign up over at nancypinuccio.com. I'll see you next week, same time, same place. Till then, keep writing, and I'll talk to you soon.